Good morning. It is the 10th of February, and it's 5 a.m. Central Time here in Central Oklahoma. I don't know if you could tell, I'm pretty congested this morning. So while I feel a lot better than I did yesterday, I'm also more congested than I've been. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. We're just going to take this one day at a time, and we're going to try to keep this very brief again today in the interest of preserving my health. Uh, there have been a couple prayer requests in the chat, so we're going to put them up on screen. Please pray for James and his housing situation. they That's a rough spot to be in, so please pray for that. And I'll see if I could find the other one. Uh, let's see. Uh, yes, Immaculata is saying they need to find a new job. So, yes, again, these are very important things to pray for. Keep them in your prayers today. We could do some good with this live stream, get a, get a lot of prayers for it up for these intentions all right folks so we're going to jump right into it today i have two different statements sort of well, a full statement from one and then a summary of another because it was unfortunately behind a paywall and i'll respect the paywall and not use the ways to get around a paywall to uh present it to you but uh there have been some reporting on it so the first is from archbishop hector agur probably mispronouncing his name although i looked up how to say it but is a uh, is the Archbishop Emeritus of La Plata, Argentina. Emeritus meaning he's retired. Before Jorge Bergoglio became Francis the Great and Merciful, he was the Cardinal Archbishop of Buenos Aires, and he was known in Argentina already as being what we know him today. All the things we know about him were well known by that time. And Archbishop Agur was his uh, essentially his nemesis, really, his, his counterbalance in the the. Uh, Episcopal Conference in Argentina and in the larger South American uh, conferences, often taking the more much more orthodox positions against Bergoglio at the time. In La Plata, when uh, he hit the mandatory retirement at age of seventy-five, he was he submitted his uh, resignation as canon law requires, and. Wouldn't you know it? Unlike a lot of other cases, Francis immediately, like the day it was submitted accepted it and ordered him out of the uh, diocesan housing. So you see how it goes, right? Uh, it's worth noting that just a couple of days ago, Cardinal Supich of Chicago met with Francis privately. It, he, they had a private audience. Uh, Supich is hitting retirement age this year. I doubt he'll be removed from Chicago, but if he is, he'll probably be given a post to the Roman Curia for a job well done. He's one of the most loyal of Francis loyalists. This is happening at a time when there's a lot of talk of uh, liturgical renewal and other things going on that make it seem like there is the next phase of the suppression of the Latin mass is beginning, which I'll be talking about in my news video today after this. So to give you a counterbalance between Hector Agur, his treatment, and what we'll see with Cardinal Supich this year. But uh, Hector Agur was succeeded by now Cardinal Fernandez before Fernandez was made the prefect for the dicastery, the destruction of morality. So here we're going to go to Francis's old uh, nemesis here, Archbishop Agur. He has this letter that he published a few days ago on LifeSite where he said the headline is Fiducia Supplicants has been repudiated in place where the church is flourishing. They might be wondering how this is a warning about the state of civilization. I want you to understand something. North America, the bishops all either accepted the document or tried to ignore it. Europe, they all accepted it and or tried to ignore it with some a few notable exceptions like Bishop Schneider and his ordinary. 
South America seems unified behind it, with some exceptions. Africa is all but completely united behind uh, against it, except for, of course, South Africa. When you see that dichotomy, you begin to see why this is a perilous state for things. As he says, in Africa and Asia, attachment to ecclesial tradition leads to a repudiation of the Bergoglio Fernandez project to confuse Catholics with their sadly celebrated declaration. It is celebrated. The doctrine was celebrated by the world, by many Catholics who go to Mass most weekends. They celebrated this document. They accepted the, we're not changing the teachings of the church. We're just loosening up the practices line that we've heard. That it's not the union being blessed, but the persons that comprise the union. It This stuff. Most people are buying it, no matter what we say in response to it. So here is his short declaration. The Declaration Fiducia Supplicants and the reactions it has engendered allowed us to observe a division of continental dimensions pulsating through the church. In Europe, approval. In Africa to Asia, repudiation. This is therefore not something marginal or which has to do with ideological groups as the pontiff asserts. This is the ecclesial reality. In old Europe, Christian faith and culture are languishing. Families have no children, only pets, dogs and cats. Seminaries are empty and... and Religious institutes have nobody in them, and they barely subsist with very few members or closed down. Deeply secularized society and civil governments sweep away the values of the natural order, as if alien to any influence of Christianity. If things continue in this way, our beautiful cathedrals, relics of the Christian West, will be converted into temples for the competing religion in a few decades' time. The Papal See is an island that tries to keep governing the Catholic universe. The vital reality of the Church is moving toward the East, flourishing in Africa and Asia. I say this with regret. I am the grandson of Europeans, and the culture I have assumed is European. But the spirit of revolution has swept away Christian culture. The crisis is expressed in ecclesiastical progressivism, an accomplice of a revolution that liquidates the natural order of creation. I read at La Prezza, that'd be a newspaper, that, quote, the Italian church defends the blessing of James Martin types. Indeed, Cardinal Matteo Zuppi, one of the cardinals who might become Francis II, president of the Italian Episcopal Conference, managed to align the bishops in support of fiducia supplicants, issued by the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, which is led by the Argentinian cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, Tuco, or as many already call him, Truco, and behind him, the Pope himself. Zuppi exhibits the hackneyed arguments of the horizon of mercy, of the loving look of the church and all the children of God, without undermining the teachings of the magisterium. Again, a contradiction. Even in Fernandez's example of a blessing, he extends it to, quote, the mutual help that members of the couple give each other, which is to say that the James Martin type is approved. Zuppi continues, God wants everyone to be saved. It is therefore the task of the church to be inter interested in each and every one. We cannot forget that all the baptized enjoy the full dignity of children of God, and as such, they are our brothers and sisters. It is said that the meaning of the sacrament of marriage is not questioned. The traditional doctrine of the church on marriage is maintained, not admitting any liturgical type of blessings, similar to a liturgical rite that could create confusion. Another contribution is that of Cardinal Giuseppe Vittori in an article for Avenir. It is not about expansion of the concept of matrimony, but rather a concrete application of the conviction of faith that God's love has no boundaries, and that his work seeks to overcome the difficult situations in which man finds himself. These prelates believe that we faithful Catholics are fools. 
Undoubtedly, God wants all men to be saved, and for that reason, they must abandon sin. Is the practice of the James Martin activities, which are intrinsically disordered, a sin or not? The Father's love has no boundaries, and for that reason, he could bless a James Martin-type person, calling him to live chastely, but he cannot take pleasure in the person's permanent union with another of the same kind, which is the continuity of sin. The close connection between the salvific will of God and the historical condition of the man is mentioned, but it is precisely this connection that calls for conversion to God and the abandonment of sin. God loves virtue and invites men to live virtuously. Zuppi insists it is the pastoral value of Christian truth which always tends toward salvation. He's got it all backwards. At the same time, the African bishops stressed their disagreement with fiducia supplicants. In Africa, the James Martin types will not be blessed. This persistence in truth and common sense explains the flourishing of the church there. Christian families with many children, abundant priestly and religious vocations, full seminaries, and a prominent presence of the church in society. The confused dalliance of Pope Bergoglio is repudiated in these facts. The providence of the Lord of history has opened a new path for the mission of the church. In this reality consists the mystery of the divine will, which rejuvenates and beautifies the face of the church. In Asia, the, the attachment to ecclesial tradition also leads to repudiation of the Bergoglio Fernandez project to confuse Catholics with their sadly celebrated declaration. Here also the church flourishes. This is the fulfillment of the efficacy of truth, of God's love, and of men oriented to salvation. The church has moved from Europe to the East, which is where the future lies. In the last few weeks, a book by Dr. Tuchensis has been rediscovered though he now pretends to suppress it. It is called Mystical Passion, where the mystical theology illustrated by the doctrines of the church and the written experiences of the saints who have lived in the mystical union with the triune God are disregarded. All of this is distorted the reductive fleshology practiced by Fernandez, which shows evidence of ignorance and confusion. This backdrop is concealed in fiducia supplicants, but now it is understood. All that meaning that where you see the faith flourishing today is the places that repudiated this, where the faith is withering are the places where the bishops have either embraced it or are just trying to ignore it, where they don't have the intestinal fortitude to stand up against the sin that represents that is represented in that document. And he says that is where, those places are where you will see the faith of the future. Kind of an ominous warning for those of us who are outside of those areas. Going to check the chat now before we move on to the next little bit. Um, again, for those joining us, you may notice when you hear me talk right now that uh, I'm very congested, which is why this will be a very short stream today. Um, let's see. Looks like people are talking about various ways to take care of my issues, which is funny. Um, Sonny Jim says, if I own a business and no one shops at it, I change my business. The Vatican seems to be doing the opposite. The more people leave the mass, the more blasphemous they get. What are they thinking? I think they believe that if they just keep giving more and more to the world, the people in the world will come back to the church. I think that's their thinking. But they believe that if they just become more worldly, the those in the world will be like, oh, well, well now we'll listen to the church. I don't know. It hasn't occurred to them that what they do is essentially try to make the faith irrelevant. Because most people say, well, why do I need to be believe in God if all you have to do to get to heaven is be a nice person? which is what they're saying, which is what the modernists preach. Uh, See, so at my seminary, believe it or not, we had to go to an emergency talk from our moral theology priest prof about how to understand the document. Even he had to say it was an unhelpful document. Even admitting that much is a lot from them. 
because most of them don't want to admit the document's not helpful. All right, let's go on to the other one. I find this one interesting. The other document is behind a paywall, and I'll respect the paywall, obviously, but Gloria TV published a sort of a summary from Father Thomas Wynandy, OFM. He's a scholar, prolific writer, and we don't typically see him as being a friend of the traditionalist movement. He is a conservative priest, which means he's, you know, one of the better ones, but he has often taken traditional Catholicism to task, at least the traditionalist movement. And uh, sometimes people ask why I make a differentiation between conservative Catholics and traditionalists, because there is a differentiation, and a lot of it has to do with the hermeneutic of continuity, it has to do with the new mass and the new form of the sacraments, uh, the relationship of the church to the world, uh, the social reign of Christ the King versus the reign of Christ King of the universe or whatever is on the new calendar. You see a lot of these different things that are sort of the dividing line, but there's still a lot of overlap too, right? And uh, Father Thomas Wynandy has said that Francis is even worse than the bad popes in the past. Remember, there is this debate that you sometimes see. Is Francis the very worst Pope we've ever had, or is he just a bad Pope? we got to remember that most of the bad Popes in history were either people who tried to enrich themselves with the papacy or who tried to uh, use the papacy to live out their uh, all their fleshly desires and get away with it, or some combination thereof. You saw that with, I believe, Benedict X back in the 11th century, Alexander VI, right? But none of them, with the exception of maybe one pope, ever tried to even hint at teaching heresy. Right? I mean, uh, Alexander VI used to be the go-to example of a pope that was the worst pope of all. Can't have a possibly a worse pope than this. And he was reportedly the pope who gave us the Angelus. So, right? And he was noteworthy for, uh, for his devotion to the ladies. And he was considered the worst. Meanwhile, we have a man the world sees as Pope as teaching all sorts of bizarre things informally and then using ambiguity in his more formal things to try to mask his intentions. This is why people ask if he's the worst or not. And this fairly moderate priest says Francis is even worse than the bad popes of the past. Let's just go over this uh, from the Gloria TV summary because the actual article is behind a paywall. I know because I did check yesterday and today over at La Verita, which is, a, I believe, an Italian news site. But it's paywall stuff, and it's kind of annoying. So it says, in the past, bad popes were tainted with uh, sins of the flesh, simony, nepotism, and greed. The current crisis is worse because Francis is attacking Catholic doctrine, Capuchin Friar Thomas Wynandy told La Verita.info. His predecessors may have practiced sins of the flesh, but they never claimed that those sins were good. Now, however, Francis seems to be attacking the very moral teaching of the church, especially in matters of sins of the flesh. Francis is undermining the teaching of the church, and instead of strengthening the unity of the church, he is creating division. Let's pause there. Francis speaks a lot about unity. It's one of his favorite things. In fact, he goes after traditional Catholics for undermining unity in the church. But he's not actually strengthening unity through all of these things. He's all of his actions going after the traditional liturgy, which even got secular news outlets asking why he was doing that. The fiducia supplicants, which secular outlets said was causing confusion. Amoris Laetitia, all the way down back to 2013. He preaches unity, but then he takes divisive action 
that undermines the same unity in the church. We've never seen popes do that before. Let's continue. He never accepts criticism, but blames others, even though it is his ideology, not the ideology of others, that has created the current problems. Wynandy notes that Francis's uh, fiducia supplicants, although I do love this nickname for it, is not in line with church teaching because such activities are intrinsically evil. Everything that comes out of the Vatican, whether from Francis or Tuco, is full of deceptive and manipulative ambiguity. You remember when it was just Dr. Taylor Marshall or Tim Gordon or myself or, you know, Knights of the Immaculata or these other traditional Catholic YouTube channels that were warning about this deceptive and manipulative ambiguity. And most people are like, no, 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 no. It's not ambiguous. You just got to make sure to read it through the lens of the tradition of the church. There's your human hermeneutic of continuity. Now it's the moderates even pointing out that this deceptive and manipulative ambiguity is very real and that it undermines the faith. It undermines the teaching authority of the church. Two hours ago on this channel went live a the next installment of my series on Pascendi from Pope Pius X, and it's on the destruction of the teaching authority of the church that the modernists do, how they destroy the actual magisterial authority of the church. Check that out after this is done. It will help make things even clearer. Let's continue. The two, meaning Francis and Fernandez, deliberately sow confusion that serves to promote what is desired but not openly manifested, and it is diabolical. We will have bishops who will bless James Martin types and others who will refuse because there is no longer clarity on church teaching. Wynandy seems to think that most of the American bishops have a solid Catholic faith, but not all, especially those appointed by Francis. Francis dislikes the United States precisely because there are so many good Catholics there, Wynandy reveals. He calls synodality a farce because Francis is more tyrannical than any pope in memory because no pope or theologian was constituted for fiducia supplicants, as is usually the case for a Vatican document, and there is a dictatorial conduct of the pontificate. The same goes for the much-vaunted Parisia. Francis wants the truth to be told so he can single out his enemies and then implement his revenge when he does not like what he hears. I'll have links to that all in today's show notes at returntotradition.org. Now, that's Thomas Wynandy saying that. He is pretty moderate about this stuff. He's not the first one we've seen do this. I would put him as more moderate than even like Cardinal Mueller, who is famously was working for Francis for several years before he, before Morris Atizzi was finally too much for him. When you lose someone like Father Wynandy and you get him saying things like that, things that are Similar to what Vigano was saying in 2018, you know things have gotten bad in the church. That's where we are now, that you've lost the moderates. I'm going to go check the chat here. Let's see. The effect, JJ Dog says, is they confuse love of sin and love of the sinner, which are two total opposites. This is, this is correct. A true love of the sinner is to warn them of the errors they're making to tell them what the, the consequences of those sins are to try to warn them off the path that they're on. You can't judge them in meaning you don't know where they're going to end up, except that if they don't repent of their sins, you know where they'll end up. And the only reason you can do that much is because it's the same true for you or I, if we don't repent of the sins that send us to that confessional every, well, hopefully every week or every other week, if we don't repent of those sins and finally leave them in our past, and live lives of sanctifying grace, guess what happens? 
will end up in the same place that those others will end up for their sins. <sighs> Laura says, Unity like that uh, family house of prayer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, ecumen this we have one of the things i'm working on right now is an article for catholic family news about ecumen about this ecumenical movement in the vatican and you almost have to wonder if the if that is really what the talk of unity is about right this endless talk of unity that includely extends to those in schism and those who are have broken completely the bonds with the church or it have for centuries or even worse have never don't even profess Christ. If that is the end state of this unity, and because it's a very artificial false unity, because there's no unity there. Pope Lincoln says, how about Pope John the 12th? He reigned from, from 944 to 965. Yeah. Uh, he's not one that I usually go to, but yeah, he's, he's another one of these. There, there were really like, there was a whole 200 year history of, in the church where the Vatican was just awful. It absolutely was awful. And right from around the 900s to the late, to like the early, almost to the 1100s, it was really bad time there. That's where you get your St. Peter Damians from. Okay. Trent says with the world's acceptance of the James Martin types who are, who are less attracted to seminary combined with more conservatives in the church. Now is this moment the best, but last chance to implement changes? Um, I, it might very well, I mean, this might be after all they need, they have the side of the world on their side in general, but the priests, it, it's clear that there's a tide turning in the pre in the church itself. When you look at the seminaries, the seminaries are the bellwether. And right now, and I've been saying this for a couple of years now that most of my sources who are, can't say these things publicly, but who are priests with attachments to seminaries will tell you that. The, their seminarians are much more conservative now than they had been even a few years ago. And that it's increasingly becoming more and more of a conservative place and tradition friendly. I say tradition friendly. Don't take more conservative priests to be more traditionally minded priests. There is a difference. That's why traditional Catholicism has been, the traditionalist movement has been a movement since the 1960s. Even when there were more traditional priests, even under Benedict XVI, recognize and resist was a thing. Even under John Paul II, recognize and resist was a thing. And for good reason. It's just now things are much more clear for a lot of people. All right. He says, it's actually a very huge step for a seminary to make any remotely critical remark about the Pope. These are usually institutions that toe the party light. Well, and for good reason. A seminary is going to get an apostolic visitation if they say things like that, if they don't get something, the whatever the diocesan equivalent is first. Some seminaries, remember, some, there are seminaries out there where they only serve one diocese or maybe the, the diocese of the suffragan diocese is around it. But there are other di there are other seminaries like um, Mount Angel Seminary in Western Oregon. It's in the Archdiocese of Portland under Archbishop Sample. Seminarians go there from, from around the world. There were seminarians there from Argentina. Okay. These were and these were from Bergoglio's old diocese. There are seminaries from there. There are seminaries from around the world in Mount Angel. So they have to toe the party line because it's just too easy for them to get in trouble. Lottie, did I see the last live at Life Site with Father Mirror? No, I, I didn't. I didn't see it. Um, I might check it out later. Let's see. 
Trent says, if Fiducia supplicates is one step to implementing the James Barton program, how do they plan on getting there? Well, they don't care about the Bible, Trent. They don't. They tell us that some of them, like James Barton said, have fully said they believe that St. Paul was wrong when he said those things. And that we're those cities that were in the, in, uh, the Old Testament that God rained fire on, that apparently were that they were it wasn't done because of this that sin but because of their lack of hospitality they manipulate scripture they change the meaning of scripture again go back to that series i've been doing on uh from pope saint Pius x on modernism he, he i just did one on scripture a couple of weeks ago that one is very eye-opening on how they handle scripture they take the truth of scripture to be based entirely on what you personally choose it to mean They don't care what scripture actually says. They'll read into it whatever they want. All right. Let's see here. I saw, saw one here. Uh, maybe not. But uh, it's worth noting that you're not going to hear how... You're not going to see most of... Most resistance from... Uh, to these things happening from seminaries per se. Remember, the seminaries are still staffed by modernists in very many cases, to the point where a lot of seminarians who are traditionally minded have to keep some of their devotions secret. They have to keep some of their traditional practices secret. If they're learning the traditional mass, they're not doing it, they're not learning it on the books anymore. They're learning it because they're teaching it themselves and they've got a priest they know who's teaching it to them. They have to be keep all this stuff, as they used to say, on the down low. They can't just be upfront with it. And so, you know, don't look necessarily to seminaries for the, for this leadership and seminarians, even after they become priests, I mean, they're, they're on a short leash for for a very long time as the, you know, novice priests. GW says, I was dissuaded from going to seminary by a conservative priest friend because of the rampant James Martin types running the places. Yep. Many such cases. Uh, go listen to my uh, Malachi Martin video from yesterday if you don't if you're not aware of if you didn't see that because that is exactly what Father Malachi Martin was talking about back in the 90s it was the case all right folks if there's any further any further comments in the live chat now is the time to get them in because I'm again trying to preserve my health right now as I recover from whatever it was I had. Um, Diocesan seminaries are approving, but it's halting. Mine was open to the old mass until Desiderio Desideravi. Yeah. I, I mean, the, this is the thing. Like, I, do, I don't think that's going to approve either, even when this pontificate is over, even if you get a more moderate follow up, because a moderate's. Moderates are by definition not ones who want to rock the boat. So a moderate's not going to rescind that document or rescind traditionis custodis. All right, folks. Thanks very much, I think, for tuning in today. Again, pray, please pray for those prayer intentions I mentioned at the beginning here. And uh, as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.